0: want us to talk about praying for a miracle and about two in which God made a way. One did not handle it properly and the other one was warned about how they should handle it. One is in the Old Testament, the other one's in the New Testament. One of my favorite people in the world is in glory, but uh, I still think about him almost every day because he taught me so much about prayer and about faith and about living the Christ's life regardless of your circumstances or your situations. He taught me to see with eyes of faith and this is what he said. Ron Dunn said, there's nothing wrong with you that a miracle wouldn't cure. Nothing wrong with you that a miracle wouldn't cure. Now, I want to add to that, that the greatest thing that is wrong with you is a sinful, depraved heart that cannot be fixed by anything other than the blood of Jesus. And the greatest miracle is when Jesus saves a person and takes them from death to life. When Jesus gives us undeserved salvation something we cannot merit work for earn or be baptized or join a church to get i mean it's only through christ that we get salvation and that's the greatest miracle of the blood of jesus which is the cure for our sin that's good news somebody that's saved ought to say hallelujah. hallelujah the hardest part of praying for a miracle in our lives and and all of us have those moments when we just really need God to step in. I mean, we are desperate and we really need God to step in. I've had those moments in my life. We've had them in our family. We have them. You have them. None of us are immune or exempt from situation and from crisis that stretch us and stretch our faith and play on our fears. I have a friend who sent me a text this morning, sends me a text almost every morning, and uh, he's a head football coach at uh, Liberty University, and he said, do not stand in fear today, but stand in faith, because faith is what overcomes. I always like getting those kind of messages, because you know, the devil doesn't want anybody to hear truth. And he always plays around the edges, and he doesn't fight fair. And so I want to talk to you very honestly, pastor to people, about miracles. 30 years almost of pastoring this church, I've, I've seen a lot of miracles. And I've seen a lot of things we prayed for that God didn't see fit to do the way we wanted to do it. I can just scan this room right now and I could stop and give you 25 or 30 stories. Some that were supernatural interventions of God that nobody could believe happened and some that took us as a church, as families, through deep sorrow and hurt and pain. And even doubting if God cared or if He heard or if we prayed hard enough or or if we had enough faith. The issue is not does God see or hear or know or care. The issue is do we trust God whatever the answer is. The, the issue becomes can I get to the point of praying not my will be done but yours. Can I get to the point of praying your kingdom come your will be done. In Ron's book on prayer, he said, God did not answer the two biggest prayers of my life. I wanted those more than all the other answers put together. And I would gladly have forfeited them all for those two. I was surprised, bewildered, and hurt. I was surprised because I knew God would answer them. He had given Kay and me a promise. We had a word from God. And we had done everything we were supposed to do. We believed, prayed in faith, confessed, claimed, pleaded the blood, rebuked the devil, thanked God in advance for the answers, and we even fasted. God had answered plenty of prayers like that before. I know about those two prayers that Ron prayed. And I prayed some of those with him and for him. The godliest man I ever knew was ever around. And yet God didn't answer his prayers the way he wanted them to. But he was still sovereign. He was still sovereign. You see, God sees the beginning and the end. We just see the here and now. We pray for a miracle, for God to fix something, for God to heal someone, for God to change circumstances. And listen, prayer is an acknowledgment of our helplessness. It is not to go and be on God's advisory board or to try to arm twist him into doing what we want him to do. It is getting on the same page with a loving Heavenly Father who allowed his son to die so that you and I could have life. That's a pretty big deal. And sometimes we forget that when we pray. You know, I've had people say, and you've had people say, where was God when this happened? He was in the same place He was when His Son was being crucified for our sins. He was on a throne high and lifted up. And He gave His Son willingly, and the Son gave His life willingly so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. You realize that if God hadn't done that, that you and I wouldn't be saved and we would be without hope today. We would have no hope. We would have no reason to pray. So I want us to look at a prayer, a pivotal prayer in the life of Hezekiah, 2 Kings uh, chapter 20. Hezekiah is one of those uh, kings of revival and reform. I think you could really say... The revival under Hezekiah was more of a reformation. Uh, He restored true worship. He eliminated idols, tore down high places that had been built to the Baals and poles of Asherah, and he reignited the, the institution of the Passover. He kept God's commands. In fact, in chapter 18, it says he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. But the nation was in trouble. The Assyrians were on the border, they were at the walls, they were ready to attack and run over the nation and Hezekiah didn't have an heir. There was no one to take his place on the throne. Chapter 20 and verse one, in those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, The God of your father, David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Syria, and I will defend this city, notice, for my name's sake, my own sake, and for my servant David's sake and then Isaiah said take a cake of figs and he took and laid it on the boil and he recovered now Hezekiah prays and it looks like he's bragging I don't think that's what he's doing I think Hezekiah is recounting the goodness of God that he has seen in his life he, he's pleased the Lord he's obeyed God and he's watching over his life in this crisis moment And he says you know God's been good to me. Amen? I mean, God's been good to me. When crisis comes, when adversity comes, when, when trials and pain come into our lives, we need to step back for a minute and remember that God has been good. No matter what has happened, God's been good over the course of life, and he's just going to be better Because one day we go to be in his presence. So he has been good, he is good, and he will be good. He's the I am of goodness. (laughs) And so here's Hezekiah and he's praying. He wants the Assyrians defeated. He wants to continue these reforms, but he doesn't have an heir. And as you see in your notes, the Assyrians had come right to the walls of Jerusalem. They threatened to destroy the city. And only because of prayer is this city spared. And God hears his prayer. Now, this is the only prayer I can find in the Bible where God says to someone, you're going to live 15 more years. You're going to live 15 more years. He gives him a time. So Hezekiah knows from that prayer for 15 years, he's going to live. But how did he handle it? Well, the message is delivered in verse 1. Hezekiah was sick and... Isaiah says, thus says the Lord. By the way, that's important that that's in there because the only opinion that matters is the opinion of heaven. That's the only opinion that matters, is the opinion of heaven. What does God say? How is God speaking? What does God's word say? We live by promises, not by speculation, but here's a delivered message that he didn't want to hear. Now, we all know this. We don't talk about it. It is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Uh, we don't talk about that. When, when we're children and when we're teenagers we're, we live idealistically and we're, we think we're bulletproof and nothing's ever going to happen to us. The older we get, we start having friends in heaven and family members in heaven. And we realize that that cemetery is not just stone markers. It's people. And it's somebody's dad. and somebody's Mom, somebody's brother or sister, somebody's grandparents, somebody's aunt or uncle. It's people. Why? Because it's appointed unto man once to die. Listen, can I tell you, if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. If you're not ready to know that one day that you're going to meet your maker, you're not really ready to live in the fullness of what God has for you. And live in the power of what God had for you. Jesus came to this earth knowing he was going to die for our sins. And he lived in fullness. And he lived in joy. And he did everything he was supposed to do while he was here on earth. God had spoken. Hezekiah is not questioning God's authority. He is weeping and asking for grace. The reality of the moment has hit him. Now... I I have to say, you know, back last year, when I got a diagnosis that I had cancer, the reality of that moment hit me. I mean, I sat there in the doctor's office, and I listened, and I heard it, but I wasn't sure I'd heard it. And I went out to the car, and I just sat, and Terry and I sat in the car, and I lost it. I just lost it. Now, I've stood by the beds of people with cancer, I've stood in funerals with people that died of cancer. I've stood with people that have been healed of cancer. But now it was me. And it's one thing to be theoretical about it. It's another thing when it's you. Two things. And we need to understand this. We are all in the land of the dying on our way to the land of the living. We're all in the land of the dying. On our way to the land of the living. We're not in the land of the living. On our way to the land of the dying. As believers we're in the land of the dying. On our way to the land of the living. And So how are you living. In light of the fact that you're dying. Are you ready. We have no promise of tomorrow. We have no promise of the next heartbeat. We have no promise of anything. The scripture says don't boast about tomorrow. Today's got enough problems for itself. So. Is your house in order? Do you, have you done simple things? Like, do you have a will? Do you have power of attorney? Have you taken care of your finances? Have you taken care to see that your family is taken care of? And this is not something you wait to do until you're just about to die. Do it now. Take care of it now. You know, I, I had a cancer policy that I bought 10 years ago. And it has significantly helped us in this time. But you know it's harder to sell than a life insurance policy. You know why? Number one answer of people is if I buy a cancer policy, that means I'm going to get cancer. Now, first of all, that's not the thinking of an intelligent person. That's thinking if I don't buy it, that's like thinking if I don't say anything about dying, I'll never die. You're gonna die. I'm going to die, you're going to die, we're all going to die. Or Jesus is going to come back. Now, I'd vote for that. I'd vote for Jesus just to come back. Amen. Then somebody else has got to worry about church debt besides me. Uh, I mean, I'd vote for him to come back. But here's the truth, folks. You need to be prepared so that your family is prepared. Right. You need to be ready so your family is ready. My dad and mom did not have power of attorney. My mother-in-law did have power of attorney. And when she got dementia, it saved us agonizing discussions that we would have had to have otherwise. You need a will. You need to invest in the kingdom after you're gone. Back in the 90s, one of the men that was a leader in our church uh, got cancer. And I would preached that Sunday. He was going to have surgery early on. Uh, Monday morning and so after church on Sunday night I went by the hospital to see him and talk to him and We began to talk and I could just tell it was just something he wasn't saying and so I asked him I said what's going on and he said well He said I had a real falling out with brother Billy uh, Before he left and we weren't on speaking terms He said, Pastor, what do you think I ought to do? I said, I think you ought to reach over and pick up that phone right there and you ought to call Brother Billy and you ought to ask him to forgive you. I said, because you're going under anesthesia tomorrow and you don't know if you're coming out. You don't know if the next thing you see will be Jesus and I wouldn't want to meet Jesus with unforgiveness in my heart after he's forgiven you so much. And I prayed with him and I left and he picked up the phone and he called, and he asked for forgiveness, and he lived another 10 years. Now I'm not saying he wouldn't have lived another 10 years anyway, but I will tell you this. He was ready because he had gotten it right with the one person that came to his mind who said, I'm not right with that man. By the way, Mark's gospel talks about mountain-moving faith. And he says, if you say this mountain, be moved. And we, we like to quote that. But then he ends that. by, the, I think Jesus took a deep breath. Kind of took a, took a Ron Dunn sigh there. Uh, and just kind of moved to the side. And he said, and if you have anything against anybody, forgive. In other words, if we want mountains to move in our lives, we better be clean before the Lord. Because he put a qualifier on moving mountains and that was forgiveness secondly the man in prayer the prophet left the king prayed he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the lord it means he prayed to the toward the wall he's facing toward the temple this is what the old-time preachers called being shut up to faith that you have nowhere to go but god and so he's praying he's fairly young he's probably under 40 The nation is in crisis. He didn't have an heir. And he says, Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you in truth and with whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. He was remembering that God had said to him who did not have an heir that he would give an heir to David to sit on the throne if there was an obedience to the commands of God. And Hezekiah says, I've obeyed the commands. I've done what you told me to do, but I don't have an heir. And if I die, there's no heir. So there's a miracle promised in verses 4 through 11. God heard the prayer, healed him, called Isaiah back, barely had left the room, returned and say to Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. Here's a miracle. The Bible is full of miracles. I mean, pray for God to do miracles. I mean, God is a miracle-working God. And sometimes we act like he's hampered and hindered, but it is mostly by our lack of faith. He's a miracle-working God, but I want you to look. He, he says, "He says you got to get some figs." You know, faith in figs. He needed both. He needed a human agent that could be used. It was all a miracle of God, and yet there was a human agent that was used. That God was glorified in this act. He used a person. Prayer and a poultice. Kind of sounds like my grandmother would have done. Then let's measure our lives going forward. Hezekiah knew he had more time. This is in your notes. But if you read verses 12 through 21, he did an unwise thing and showed the ambassadors of Babylon all his wealth, and he showed them his strengths and his weaknesses as a leader. He he showed them where he was vulnerable. He showed the enemy where he was vulnerable. Hmm. You know what he didn't do? He didn't ask the prophet Isaiah if that was a good idea. He didn't consult with God's man, the prophet. He just acted on his own initiative. He's been healed. He's been promised 15 years, but he acts on his own foolish initiative, and he revealed to the enemy where he was vulnerable. I remember the first time I ever did this, I asked Manley Beasley one time, I said, Manly, what are you preaching on tonight? He said, well, he said, if I tell you, I tell the devil. And I said, what? He said, no, I said, I'm just, he said, the devil's listening. He can't read my mind, but he can hear my words. And so I just soon not tell the devil what I'm preaching on. And by the way, uh, Tom Elliff will tell you, anytime he's preaching on the blood of Jesus, he never says anything about it beforehand because he doesn't want to give the devil ramp time to get a running start. It's pretty arrogant, isn't it? God gives you grace and mercy and 15 more years, and you start pridefully talking about your wealth in front of your enemy. By the way, pride was his problem. Warren Wiersbe said, Pride makes us rob God of the glory that belongs to him alone. Pride gives us a feeling of false security, and this leads us into sin and defeat. Charles Spurgeon said, be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. Barclay said, pride is the ground on which all the other sins grow and the parent from which all other sins come. This principle runs throughout Scripture. Now, if, if you got your Bibles handy, open up to John chapter 5, John 5, because there's a story there that parallels this story. Jesus comes up to the pool uh, Bethesda, and, and uh, that pool is an amazing area in the heart of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, it has been unearthed, and, and you can see part of it. You can't see all of it, but there's part of it right there. It sit out, sits outside St. Anne's Church, so this, this is a massive pool. It goes way down. It used to be filled with water, and people would go sit around that pool in hopes that The the rumor was that the angels would stir the water, and if you could get into the water, you would be healed. Well, by this pool was a man, and this man couldn't walk and hadn't been able to walk for 38 years, and so somebody would always beat him to the pool. And Jesus approaches him and asks, Do you wish to get well? (coughs) That sounds like a really dumb question, doesn't it? Do you wish to get well? That's like if you walk up to somebody and their arm's in a sling and you say, you break your arm? No, I just got them to put this on because it just looks good and I like people to sign things. You break your leg? No, I just like to wear a cast. It's not a dumb question because Jesus is asking him about desire. Do you really want to get well? He said, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. He had no power to walk. Now he's walking. I mean, atrophied muscles and legs, immediately he's got the strength to get up and walk. Do you want to get well? Get up and walk. Now, you and I know, I mean, you've been around the block a few times. There are some people that just like being sick. Amen? I mean, because that's all they talk about. You know, it's a beautiful day. I'm feeling so bad. And then they want to tell if, you, if you've got pneumonia, they've got double pneumonia. If you've got a sinus headache, they've got a migraine headache. I mean, because they cannot stand the thought of somebody being sicker than them. And so they're always sick. And they're always talking about how sick they are. And quite honestly, we all get sick of hearing how sick they are. Because the confession of the believer is not our sickness. It is our Savior who is sufficient for the day. What day? Any day. Every day. He's sufficient. He's for grace when we're healthy and grace when we're sick and grace when we're dying. He's got sufficient grace for all of it. But some people, I mean, they just enjoy it. They try to top their problem. Hey, take a step of faith. Let me give you three things. First of all, abandon your excuses. Abandon your excuses. I can't get to the pool. No one will help me. Quit making excuses. I, I mean, there are some Christians at their funeral, you just want to sing... Somebody done somebody wrong, song. Because it's always about what somebody did to them. You know, folks, toughen up, buttercup. I mean, somebody's done something wrong to everybody in this room, and most of them you'll never hear about. You'll never hear about. You know why? Because they abandon their excuses, which means they go to God with it. They go to God with, before you talk to anybody else about you can't get to the pool, you better have talked to God. Because the question you ought to be asked, I just can't get it. How much have you talked to God about it? Remember what Bill Ellis said in the prayer conference? If you're not praying about it, why are you asking us to pray about it? You're not praying about it yourself, why are you asking us to pray about it? If It doesn't mean enough to you to pray. Why are you asking everybody else to pray? starts with us. Abandoned your excuses. Secondly, attempt the impossible. Get up and walk. Get up and walk. Now, if you've been to Israel with us, and we'll go again in 2020, if you've been to Israel with us, then you know that Jesus didn't say... Now, here, now here, let me just, let me just help you. Just, you, let, let me just pull you up. Don't try to do, just, just let me just pull you up, pull you up. Okay, let me pull you up. Uh, Peter, John, get over here and help me over here. We're going to carry him to the pool. You, okay, I'll pick him up under his shoulders. You picking up at, at the waist and you carry his feet and we're going to get him over here to the, and we're going to get him over. Okay, one, two, three, we're going to throw him in the pool. It's deep in, it's okay. One, two, three, we're going to put him in the pool, splash him down in the pool and he'll be well. No, Jesus made the pool unnecessary. He didn't have to go to the pool to start walking. He just had to get up and do what God told him to do. By the way, that might have been the original place where standing on the promises of Christ my King took place. He got up and he walked. The commands of God are the promises of God. But now, if you read on in that text, you will notice something that Jesus does to this man that has had a miracle after 38 years years avoid pride that's the third one because Jesus goes to him and afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him behold you have become well do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you you see he was commanded to walk he got power to do that He's now commanded to not sin and he's got power to do that. We don't know what the sin is. Could have been a specific sin but he's commanded not to sin and with the command comes the power because it's built on the promises of God. So that nothing worse could happen to you. Man. I mean, what's worse than being crippled for 38 years? It's being crippled And God meeting you at the point of your need and forgetting about it and going back and acting as if you deserved it. It's having God answer a prayer. It's making promises to God. God, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, I'll do that. It's making promises to God and then not fulfilling those promises. It's God delivering you and then going back to the very sin that he delivered you from. It is abusing the grace of God. That's what's worse than being crippled for 38 years. And you know, we all do it. Here's a warning, though, that we shouldn't do it. I mean, we all do it. I mean, if you took the 29 years we've had a prayer ministry in this church and and all the prayer requests we've been given, do you know that the cards of people, please pray for this, 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 and this, for every hundred of those, we get one that says God answered. We get one that's a praise. You know what that is? That's being ungrateful for people praying that God would do something to the point where you didn't even bother to tell anybody that God did it. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. That God would work and move in such a way that you knew it was an act of grace and yet not make that your walking testimony. Here's what I would suggest. If God has answered a prayer, if God has delivered you, if God has saved you, if God has redeemed the days or years that you've wasted, whatever it is that God has done, give God a blank check for your life. And say, God, here's my life. I'm going to sign it. You fill in the blank however you want to fill it in. I want to use my time, my energy, my money, my health, my sickness, whatever it is, I want to use it to glorify your name. I want to use it to make a difference for the kingdom. I don't want to just ask you for a miracle and then get presumptuous or prideful. I want to remember every day that I am a walking miracle. And by the way, if you know Jesus, you're a walking miracle. And I want to live every day in light of the grace and the goodness of God. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Some of you here today need to trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You need to give your heart to Him. You need to confess your need of Him, confess your sin. And I want to invite you even now before we start playing any music, I want to invite you to step out from where you are and come down and find one of these men at the front and say, I need to trust Christ today. But some of you may be, maybe, man, God did something in the past, and you were so grateful for it in the moment. But as time has gone by, memory has faded and your intensity has faded and maybe you've left your first love maybe you promised God you were going to do some things and you've not carried them out I don't know what it is but there's a warning in Hezekiah's life and there's a warning in this lame man's life that when God does something make sure you're giving yourself fully to Jesus he did not do that flippantly nor should we react flippantly to what he does on our behalf so as they sing you step out and you come right now